So I have a question for you tonight. Uh, not an initial picture this time, but a question. So my question is, have you ever been let down? Silly question, huh? Yeah, I remember as a kid, you know, one of the first times, you know, when you're younger and you get let down. And uh, I remember different times and circumstances, uh, family get together or something, someone says they're going to be there, they don't show up, right? I just remember thinking at times, if you're not going to be there, why do you say you are and just not? Why don't you just say you're not, right? Um, but, you know, people say things, they commit to things, they promise to do stuff all the time and it fails, right? How, how many times have we uh, had a move planned and people, oh yeah, I'll be there to help you and then not show up, right, to help you to move, right? That, that's another example where you, you tend to see the lot. But we've all had experiences where various situations and circumstances, people let us down because people are sinners. They're humans. They're unreliable. Um, but God is the contrast to that, and we're going to look today at God and his faithfulness in First Kings uh, 9 and 10 here. Um, but before we look at that, I wanted to look again at chapter 3, because in chapter 3 is where we have Solomon uh, praying to the Lord and the Lord uh, answering him um, according to his request. And this really is, I think, the backdrop of what we're going to see in chapters 9 and 10. So let's look again at 1 Kings 3, 10 to 14 where this is right after Solomon has prayed, God basically asked him, what would you like? And Solomon asked for wisdom or discernment to uh, judge his people, and this is God's response to that in verses 10 to 14. God says, it was pleasing, in, or it says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing, so God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before, no one shall, shall, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. So I want to draw specific attention to uh, the things that God says here um, in fulfillment uh, or, or in answer to Solomon's request. He says, your request has been granted. So you're you're. I've given you a wise and discerning heart. And then he also says, I'm giving you additional things. I'm going to give you riches that you didn't ask for, and I'm going to give you honor that you didn't ask for. And that's what we're going to see in, in, in chapters 9 and 10 today. We have a lot to cover, but uh, we'll be uh, selective in what we read here. Um, but we'll look at chapter 9, and we're going to see that first of all, uh, God appears again here to Solomon in chapter 9 after the temple's finished as a reminder, as a reminder to Solomon 
for uh, his responsibilities. So let's look at chapter 9, and let's read 1 to 9 here. It says, Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in the integrity of heart and uprightness, and doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever." just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut you off from the Israel, uh, cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight." So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus in this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and adopted other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. So we see here, first of all, the Lord's appearance to Solomon, right? And we're told in verses 1 and 2 that this appearance is like that which he had in Gibeon. So that would lead us to assume it probably was an appearance in a dream like he did in uh, chapter 3, from which we were just reading some verses. So we have the Lord appearing to Solomon, and he's giving... Solomon, a reminder and also an encouragement, though. Did you catch in verse 3? He says that he's answered his prayer. In verse 3, uh, he says that he has heard Solomon's prayer. Look at that. Your prayer and supplication. So you, you, uh, we've already seen in chapter 3 how God answered his prayer about a wise and discerning heart. And we see the building of the temple was in part a fulfillment of that gift of wisdom that God gave. The, the work that they did was led by Solomon and the wisdom that God gave him. That was a fulfillment. But he's specifically talking here about chapter 8. In chapter 8, Solomon prayed to the Lord that he would uh, look to his people Israel as they pray towards the temple. We talked about, as an example, how Daniel would be in captivity later and pray towards the temple. Um, based on what Solomon was asking there. And God's saying, he's heard that. He's going to do that. And he says that he's consecrated the house, putting his name there forever, perpetually watching over it, essentially. So that might lead us to ask a question, since we have the advantage of history here. How can that be that his name's going to be there forever, if we know that how that temple got destroyed about 400 years later, due to the Babylonians coming in there. How, how then has God done that? It's a good question. And the readers of the book at the time may have been asking the same thing as well. 
Because remember, the audience for this book was originally the captives in Israel that were taken into Babylonia. So um, how is it that God's put his name there? Well, I would suggest the idea is, um, and if you have a MacArthur's uh, Bible, you may see some of the same notes that I borrowed from there. But um, uh, I think there is uh, indication that it's Jerusalem and the Temple Mount that is God's focus and has been and will be throughout history. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to come back to Kings here, but let's look at Isaiah chapter 2 for a minute and see how in the future millennial kingdom, God will reestablish his presence in Jerusalem even though that building was destroyed. So I don't think it's just about a building, but it's about God's present and uh, permanent intent with Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Uh, look at verse 1 in verses one, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it came about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we have scripture that tells us in the coming millennial kingdom, our Lord will, will physically manifest his presence in Jerusalem and rule from there. And we're also told in Revelation 21, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the city where God's people will dwell is called the new Jerusalem. So in this sense, God is saying that he has forever made that place special and watches over it. So even though the building was destroyed, God has permanent plans for that place um, and watching over that location. And he's going to use it again. But we also see there's a conditional promise he talks about here in verses 4 and 5. He, he talks about uh, the need for Solomon to walk with the Lord. He says, as for you, verse 4, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in the integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I commanded you and will keep my statutes and ordinances, then I will establish your the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Again, the readers in captivity know that the temple has been destroyed. They're in captivity. There's not a king reigning in Jerusalem. But they also know there's been disobedience. And that's, been the, that's going to be the, the theme of this book as it goes forward, is the disobedience of the kings of Israel. Solomon stands at the pinnacle of the kings as uh, at the time of the height of Israel here. The temple's been built. They have great riches. Solomon has great renown, or uh, he's famous, as we'll see in the coming sections. But it's all downhill from here. The kings uh, are going to disobey, turn away from the Lord. And Solomon actually starts that, as we'll see in chapter 11, Lord willing, next week. Um, but there was a need to obey, to be faithful to the Lord, 
and that was a requirement for there to be consistent ruler in Israel, which we know ends up not being the case. But interestingly, uh, or importantly, we see here in verses 6 through 9, the warning for disobedience here, the warning for disobedience um, that is given by God, and he mentions specifically in verse 7 that they will be cut off from the land. Again, remembering the, the primary audience when this was written are those captive from Israel. And this is a clear reminder that it was disobedience is the reason they're in captivity. As God said. So God said this is what would happen, and that is what happened. Even though it's a negative, it's still God being true to his word. God warned Solomon, God... Uh, and yet there was still a turning away from the Lord that led to them being taken out of the land. Notice also in uh, verse 8, it talks about this house will become a heap of ruins. And we know that's what happened. The temple was destroyed, and and it took a long time before it was rebuilt. And then it was destroyed again. So... Um, God gives a warning here that there's a requirement to obey and Solomon ultimately isn't going to do that. But what's important to see, and I believe is the emphasis on these two chapters, is that God is faithful to his word. God is faithful. The problem that happened in Israel, the loss of being in the land, the loss of the temple, was the result of their sin. It was not a result of God failing or forsaking them. It was their sin. God is faithful. Now, I think as we look at this chapter, the beginning section here, I think we see several things that should remind us about God's faithfulness. Number one, the temple was completed. The temple was completed. That was a fulfillment of something God said would happen. David wasn't allowed to do it, but his son was able to do it. And, and God fulfilled that promise made to David through Solomon there. And this is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. It's also a reminder in this chapter of God answering prayer. We see the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. We're going to see a lot more of it in the, in the coming verses here. But God answers prayer. Another evidence of his faithfulness. It's a reminder to us that God is faithful. And we need to be thankful and reminded of how he answers prayer for us. He answers prayer. He is faithful. He is also gracious and long-suffering. If you've been found along carefully, God has given this reminder to Solomon multiple times. This reminder about the need to walk with him. And if they do, that he will uh, perpetuate their... The, the throne, that there will always be a man. But they needed to obey, and they didn't. And yet God is very gracious and long-suffering. And what's really compelling to think about God's long-suffering in this is we're in chapter 9 of First Kings where God warns Solomon disobedience will result in getting removed from Israel. It's 400 years later before that actually happens. What a testimony of the long-suffering of God. 
He puts up with them for a long time. And eh, we haven't got to the worst of the kings. It is dastardly what some of these kings do. Completely forsake the Lord. Uh, abominable things that they do. And the Lord put up with them for so long. It's a reminder of God's grace and long-suffering. The fact that he gives multiple reminders. Now, God isn't obligated to always give us multiple reminders, but if we think back in our lives, we could point to examples, can't we? Where God has been gracious on multiple occasions, given us multiple chances, multiple reminders, and we see that played out here. Um, and we also see a reminder of the necessity for, for obedience, for full blessing here. Um, it's true in our lives as well. God is good, and he works all things together for good, and uh, there are times where we sin and do wrong, confess, for, uh, and, and get things right. And he can use that in marvelous ways. But sometimes we miss out because of our disobedience. And we experience hardship because of our disobedience. Um, we also are going to see here next, I want to point out, uh, the riches of Solomon. The riches of Solomon is, is a huge theme in these two chapters. So we won't read every detail of this, but I just draw your attention to 10 through 14 to start us off here. In ten, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 10 to 14. Um, it actually talks about uh, King Hiram in Tyre again, and it talks about how uh, he had helped supply the wood that they needed for the temple. And then there's this exchange that takes place where Solomon gives him 20 cities. And... <laughs> Doesn't make perfect. It's not completely obvious what the intent of all that is, but Hiram is basically not happy with those twenty cities. He basically complains about them. But I think verse fourteen is where the emphasis of this chapter is. It says in verse fourteen, even though he's not happy, Solomon gave him these twenty cities. Um, he ends up giving to King Solomon a hundred and twenty talents of gold. I think this is just one example of how. Solomon did lots of trading, lots of business, lots of interaction with other kings in the area. And the result was Solomon grew in riches. But again, it's not just because Solomon is wise. It's because God is faithfully fulfilling what he said he would do. God said he would give Solomon riches. And that's what he does. We also see in uh, 15 to 25, there's uh, talk about uh, different resources. He had labor. He had forced labor that he used and helped with uh, the temple and other work. Um, and there's a clear distinction made. Uh, the forced labor, that which would be uh, those that were the kinds of people that were captive, like the, the uh, Gibeonites who uh, tricked Israel, you remember, in jo the book of Joshua, they were uh, basically given a promise that they wouldn't be killed, but the result of their deception was they became forced labor for the children of Israel. So those kinds of people it talks about in this section uh, had a big part, and it's part of the, the wealth of workers and works that Solomon accomplishes during his time as king. And there's some details about that. But it makes a careful distinction in 22 and 23 that Solomon did not use Israelites that way. Um, they had responsibilities as warriors or servants in the, in the, in the kingdom. 
um, and were his princes, captains, commanders, horsemen, chief officers, and things like that. Um, but it also talks about uh, him doing some additional work related to his, uh, his wife um, and uh, built, built stuff for her. Uh, and then it talks about Solomon keeping the feasts here in verse 25. Um, but then I want to draw your attention and read 26 through 28 here. Uh, Solomon also wisely created a fleet of ships and used them to acquire yet more riches. Look at 26. It says, King Solomon also built a fleet of ships in Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, sailors who knew the sea, along with the servants of Solomon. They went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So we have yet another example of Solomon just acquiring more wealth. Again, an indication of God's faithfulness to his promise. All of this is a reminder of God's faithfulness to his promise. And I believe all of this, chapters 9 and 10 especially, are driving us to the pinnacle of prosperity in the land of Israel right before we see in chapter 11 how Solomon disobeyed by loving many foreign women and his heart being turned away from the Lord by them. But we're seeing the pinnacle here and we're being reminded that it is, is not God's fault. It is the disobedience of Solomon um, and the kings that will follow him ultimately that resulted in the captivity. Um, but we have here great prosperity and blessing that God's giving during this time of Solomon here. Um, just thinking about Solomon's prayer request there. Solomon's prayer request where he asks for wisdom and God gives riches and honor beyond what Solomon asked. Now, I, I know if you're like me, yeah, you'd say, boy, I would love to have riches uh, added on to one of my requests, right? Um, but, but in a serious note, let's think, uh, ultimately, though we joke about that, having things in this life, we actually do in Christ have all blessings and all riches of things that are ultimately worth, uh, worth uh, of genuine worth. But I want you to think with me about your own lives. Can you think of situations in your lives where you've asked God for things or help, or deliverance, or for something, and he did that for you, and much, much more than you were originally thinking. Now, uh, I would say, uh, my, the A number one all of us should think about if we know the Lord, is ultimately for forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, and all that's included in the relationship with Jesus Christ and, and our Lord, um, there is certainly a wealth of blessings and treasures in there that we haven't even begun to experience yet. Thinking of things in this world, I, I would put at the top of my list my wife. I, I, uh, I think all of you, or, or most of you, if not all of you, are aware there's a period of my life where I had children... I lost my wife and then was uh, without a wife for a couple years and definitely prayed during that time. I did pray 
I honestly pray that if God didn't want me to be married, I was willing for that. But I definitely prayed for a wife because that's what my desire was. And I could say I was asking God to give me a wife who would be a companion, who would be a mother to the children I already had and potentially to more to come. But, and I would expect or hope the, the rest of you who are married would have the similar sentiment that I got so much more than I originally understood or expected. I got someone who is, yes, a great companion, but a great ministry partner as well. A, a very patient person, a great listener, a, 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 a constant encouragement. I could go on and on, but you understand, and hopefully you can relate. Um, I would also say my job. I, I got a job in 1998 at the university thinking I would only be there a few years. And God has used that job to provide for the needs of our family for a very long time. And uh, some of the results of that job, there, there's at least one person who I believe the Lord brought me into contact with that came to know the Lord as a result of working there. Um, a f uh, multiple friendships that have happened while working there. Just an example of how God gives us many times much more than we're even originally thinking or asking for. And, and I imagine you could join with me in thinking through those kinds of examples. But that's how God is because God is good and God is faithful. And he demonstrated that he gave great riches to Solomon here um, in fulfillment of what he said he would do. But I want you to also see he fulfilled what he said he would do in regards to his reputation or his honor, or I'm using the word renown. So the renown of Solomon, he was known throughout the world at this time. And if you think about it, today he's known. Almost everybody today knows of Solomon and his wisdom. Uh, it's amazing how God has fulfilled his promise to honor Solomon. Um, and we see clear examples of that here. So let's look at verses 1 through uh, 13, but I'll just kind of read through a few verses at a time and, and break it up. But um, it says in verse 1, Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with the very large retinue with camels and carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. So a couple things I, I bring up here about the Queen of Sheba. Number one, the region or location where she's from. Does anyone, anyone know? Egypt? Are you guessing? You haven't done research here? All right. Well, there's two primary theories. Um, the uh, one theory is somewhere in southern Saudi Arabia, maybe the Yemen area. And another theory is that of Ethiopia. The, most biblical scholars seem to favor the Arabian idea or the Yemen area. Um, there seems to be non-biblical scholars that seem to like the Ethiopian idea because there's, there's actually kind of some negative tradition there, but um, we're not sure. 
But I think if you look at either option, if, if it was either one of these, um, in that day and age, that would have been a very long way to come to hear Solomon's wisdom. And, and that ultimately is the point. Solomon's reputation had gone worldwide. And people all over the place were hearing of Solomon and his wisdom. So, but I want you to notice, though, I, I think I skipped over it. And I need to draw your attention to it. I miss this probably every time I've read this passage until today. Did you notice what I missed in emphasizing? She came because she heard about the fame of Solomon, right? What did I miss? Concerning the name of the Lord. That's right. His fame was connected with the God of Israel. So it wasn't just the fame of Solomon, but it was the God of Israel who's given this wisdom to Solomon. I think that's a great reminder for us to not uh, focus on the human instrument and forget that it's God and that God is to be glorified. So she came to hear from Solomon because she had heard about him, his wisdom from God. Now notice she brought with her uh, questions, and uh, so it explains the reason. She, she heard about uh, his fame and the name of the Lord, and she came to test him. And then we see the results, verse 3. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. So the result was she got all of her questions answered. And then... What's her response to this? Her response in 4 through 10. It says, When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, notice just the basis of what she's impressed with here. The wisdom, the house, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. And it says there was... No more spirit in her. Literally, she's breathless. She is overwhelmed with what she has seen and heard. So then, in uh, verse 6, she responds by giving, uh, essentially pronouncing a blessing. So, verses 6 or 9, it says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Now pause there for a second. That's also something we maybe don't think about much. Have you had uh, the blessing of working with an exceptionally gifted person before? There, there's a privilege to working with someone like that. It's inspiring. It's challenging. It's motivating. And how much more here, these servants that are hearing the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, and, and she's drawing attention to that. Verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you to set you on a throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So 
she's responding ultimately by praising the Lord, recognizing this is all ultimately his doing. What a uh, fulfillment of the honoring of Solomon that uh, God was doing here. But ultimately, even though God honors Solomon, God is the ultimate one honored. All glory and honor belong to him. So we also see that he gives, uh, I'm sorry, she gives a gift. So she responds with the gift here in verse 10. She gave to the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So we have uh, this 120 talents of gold just <laughs> comes up again and again, right? Just amazing amounts of gold that Solomon was acquiring here. And he gets this as a gift and spices uh, more than ever before and precious stones. Uh, and then ultimately she leaves, verse 13, it says Solomon uh, gave to the queen of Sheba all her desires she requested besides what he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. So she returns, he gives her a gift as well. Uh, again, he's just overloaded with riches and wealth and honor here, but ultimately we know that belongs to the Lord. The, the chapter closes, I think, with more emphasis on riches and renown. And let me just draw your attention to some of it. Let's look at income here in verses 14 and 15. It says, Now the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that from the traders and the wares of merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country. So on a, on a yearly basis... He got 666 talents of gold. Incredible, incredible wealth and income here. Fulfillment of what God said he would do uh, in Israel um, and, and give to Solomon. We see the items of gold here, 16 to 22. won't read all that, but basically talks about making uh, shields, shields of gold. Now, I'm not a metallurgist here. But what do you know about gold? It's heavy? Conducts electricity? Okay, I don't think they were concerned about that back in that day. It's soft. What good is a shield of gold going to be? Probably not very, very useful, right? It's more for aesthetics, right? But that just shows how much they had at that time. He's making these shields of gold. Just excessive, excessive well, it talks about his throne in 18 to 20. It talks about the vessels they were drinking out of were gold. In fact, it says that none of them were silver in verse 21 because it wasn't considered valuable in the days of Solomon. There was so much gold that silver was as common as stone, it tells us later. Uh, silver wasn't very valuable. Just amazing riches that God gave. We also see he had more international fame and renown here. It says in 22, for the king had uh, at the ships of sea of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram 
Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came back bringing gold and silver and apes, or ivory and apes and peacocks. Don't know if they had a royal zoo, but that's kind of what it sounds like there. Um, all these riches, verse 23. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, mules, and so much, year by year. So much. I love that. There's an amazing amount of stuff here. And it also talks about his military uh, uh, imports and exports here, horses and chariots and all those things. The point here is that God has fulfilled his promises to Solomon as an evidence of God's faithfulness. We're going to turn the chapter next week and we're going to see how it all starts to unravel because of Solomon's disobedience. But the clear point and emphasis is God has been faithful He's richly blessed Israel. He's richly blessed Solomon because he is faithful to his promises. And all of this is a great encouragement to us. God is faithful. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble by our choices. And God is may choose to let us experience some hard consequences for some choices. But we are reminded of God's faithfulness, and even if we have made choices that are terrible. Think about David. It's amazing to me to think about how God talks about David as the example for Solomon. David committed murder. David committed adultery. But we see from the Psalms, especially Psalm 51, how David repented of his sin. He turned from his wicked ways. And even at the beginning of Kings, we saw, saw how there may have been an opportunity for an immoral David to take advantage of a young lady that was very beautiful in the beginning of 1 Kings. But it makes it clear to us that David didn't do that. Why? Because David repented of that sin. He did not want to go back. And uh, God speaks of him as an example. Ultimately, though, we have a lot to look at and thank God for his faithfulness. It'd be good for us to reflect on how God is blessed in our lives, how God has given us much more than we've asked. And though Solomon had great riches in this day, those things were all temporary things. We look forward to the blessings of eternity, uh, spending forever with God, the joy of eternal life with Him. What, and the Bible talks about how we don't even understand all the ways that God is going to bless and reward and show His kindness to us in ages to come. We have a lot to thank God for, don't we? Let's thank him and let's trust him because he is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouragement from 
1 Kings 9 and 10, we know that disobedience happened after this and, and even surely during this. Uh, and yet, you're very gracious. You fulfill your promises. Help us, Father, to be reminded of that and to cling to that. As we sang a little while ago, that we would stand on the promises you give us because you cannot lie. You are eternally faithful. Help us to remember that and stop doubting you, but to trust you and to praise you because you are worthy of all praise. And help us, Father, to be faithful to you like you are to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.